Hope you brought a Bible this morning. Let's uh, take one final last look at Psalm 51. You turn there and, and we'll read it in its entirety. Psalm 51 at verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being, and teach me, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with the willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that endures forever. I want to start this morning by asking you to complete a sentence. Here's the sentence. Christmas is about blank. Fill in the sentence. I mean, you know, there's a lot of ways you can fill in that sentence. I mean, there's a... There's a lot of uh, ways to view Christmas, a lot of ways to think about it. I mean, you could say um, Christmas is about love. Or uh, Christmas is about giving. Or um, Christmas is about Christ. Or Christmas is about family. And for the bah humbug elements in the audience, you could say, Christmas is about debt. <laughs> but guys, um, all I'm, the only point I'm trying to make is that there's a lot of ways that you can, that you can view Christmas. A lot of, a lot of views, a lot of, a lot of things that, that kind of swirl around in our minds, um, concerning Christmas. 
I want to offer this morning another one. My suggestion is this, that in Christmas, God shouts, there is a way back. Which is certainly what David wanted. It was what he was looking for. It was what Psalm 51 is about. It is... um, It is it has dominated his mind and soul after his sin. You know, guys, I, I think that it's safe to say and true to say that that for David, the worst part of this whole experience of sin with Bathsheba was that his his relationship with God had been broken. His sin had brought on a sense of alienation and estrangement from from God, and so. His response is that his his first and foremost concern is to restore that relationship. Uh, of all of his remorse that is that is given voice, he gives voice to in, in Psalm fifty one. His primary concern is that he has got to right himself. He has got to reestablish a, a vital relationship with God. A a, a relationship that had been broken because of his sin. But the the, the problem for David is is that David knew very little, if anything. He knew very little about the Lamb of God that that would take away the sin of the world. He had discovered this much. He had discovered that outward religious rituals... um, that wasn't going to work. Um, he says in verses 16 and 17 that there is no substitute or that outward religious performance is no substitute for a, for a broken and contrite heart. So he, he begins to or be, continues to wonder, what is the path back to God? And if I make it back there, will I be received? The answer to that question, in all of its finality, arrived on Christmas morning. Another thing that David could have never predicted. He he could have never predicted that God, centuries later, would establish a permanent path back to himself. And he would do it. He would bring it about. On Christmas morning. You know, I, I'm, I, I think David probably had some vague understanding that God was willing to restore sinners. But the details, the details of that restoration and how he was going to do that, David didn't have a clue. And the details, the details showed up on Christmas morning. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. And everything that David needed or anybody like David could ever need was laying right there in a manger. 
Guys, the path back to God, that path is there because God put it there. He's the one that thought of it and architected it and arranged it and and paved it. And he did so by sending a Savior who is Christ the Lord. How does the broken, sinful heart restore itself to God? It doesn't. It doesn't restore itself. It relies on a piece of restoration that God has provided, and it sh- and that showed up. That path back to God, it 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 arrived. It arrived, having been announced one night to a group of shepherds by a group of angels, who. Um, These shepherds were out in their fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the the message to them and the message for David and anybody like David was a message that there was a path back to God. And here he is. What David hadn't what he did know a whole lot about was the Ten Commandments. He um, he had broken five of those things in this one episode with Bathsheba. And if there's anything that he knew pretty well, it was that law-keeping was not the right path to God. Um, what good is law-keeping when I'm a law-breaker? It's not my performance that's going to bring me back to God. Very frankly, my performance is my problem. But Christmas announces there is a path. But that path is a person. It's not, it's not law. It's not performance. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I think we can, we can hardly help ourselves from thinking like that. That when we start thinking about how I can be in sweet fellowship with God, the first thing that pops to our minds is some kind of moral reform, some kind of do-goodism. Particularly at Christmas, when we all have this this vague sense, this vague feel good sense about that that makes me want to you know try harder and be more generous and be kind and pray harder. But that's the wrong path. David says, if I could get back to you by offering burnt offerings, I would. I'd do it. He says in verse 16, if that's what it took, I would do that. You know, while Susie and I were in D.C. Um, the first of this month, seeing our new granddaughter, um, we we often 
traveled around the city on the, on the metro system. The metro system is wonderful in D.C. It's the subways, and that's what we used to call them. Um, but, I mean, it's clean, and it's nice, and it's efficient, and, and relatively cheap. And, but in each of the cars, um, there, there's space provided in the cars for, <coughs> pardon me, for, ad, for people to advertise their products. On, on one of those spaces was an advertisement that was put there by the American Association of Atheists. And you've seen them on, on the news, um, and I'm not going to get this perfectly right, but it, it, it said something like this. I'll get the last half right. The last half is easy. It was something like, who needs God? Just be good for goodness sake. That part it was, is a quote. You know, guys, when, when we start left to ourselves, when we start thinking about how am I going to establish a relationship with a God that I think exists, the, the, we, the, the first thing that comes to our minds is, well, do this and do that and do the other. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the wrong path. Psalm 51 is written by a man who is in search for the right one. But he found out in the midst of this experience that no one was ever good enough. There was not enough doing to do to, to establish, to reestablish a relationship with God. And to do so is to simply be on a path that goes nowhere. You know, the psalm, um, one, one of the reasons that I love the psalms, guys, is because it's it's basically free counseling. It's, it's, um, you want good emotional, psychological counseling, then, then turn here. Um, because David is wrestling with things as he discovers, I mean, after his experience with Bash, he's wrestling with things that have been brought to light as a result of his, of his failing. For instance, let me show you three, four. In verse 5, he says, Oh my, my sin with Bathsheba is not the problem. My sin with Bathsheba is nothing but a symptom of the problem. The problem is I've got a bad heart. I was brought forth in iniquity. I was shaped by sin. I don't sin and thus become a sinner. I'm a sinner and thus I sin. And, and, and I got this disease, God, and sin is what I am. And if I'm ever to get back to God, you're going to have to provide a solution for my inward parts, for my disease, for my heart. And Christmas shouts, I know. 
And I have, I will, I will provide a solution for your inward parts. I know of your disease. I have placed in a manger in Bethlehem a perfect remedy. Another thing he wrestles with is, I don't know how many, I've tried to emphasize it as I read it, but I I wonder if you saw the number of times that he talks about how he feels dirty. Wash me, cleanse me, purge me, hyssop. It's just six or seven references in this psalm about how his sin makes him feel dirty. One of the interesting ones is in verse 7. It's interesting because of this. Purge me, you see it there in verse 7? It's in the imperative in the Hebrew. It's a command. David is so desperate that he has started issuing commands to God. Hey, God! You must, you must purge me. And Christmas replies, I will. I did. I I know how big your need is, David. So I, so I, so I sent an even bigger solution. Because where grace, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. He, he can't quite get over. He says it again in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart. How do I get rid of my dirt? It, sin has defiled me and I, I can't quite get beyond. What do I do with my filth? I read an article just recently um, that America has finally figured out what to do with her trash. America produces 144 million tons of trash every year. And so we're coming to the conclusion that our trash needs to be recycled. In the city of Miami alone, one-fifth of all the houses in Miami get their electricity from recycled trash. Good news, huh? We're all going green. But... We know what to do with our trash. But David says, what do I do with my trashy heart? Christmas Christmas points you to a place. A place where you can take the, the garbage of disobedience and the trash of idolatry. It points you to a person who would... One day on a cross, dispose of all of your trash. Where do you take your trash? Where do you take your filth? Where do you take your dirt? You take it to a person. A person who was born on Christmas morning. That's where it goes. Um... One of the saddest features of this psalm, at least for me. He says it a couple of times. He says it in verse 8, and he says it in verse 12. He mentions the absence of joy because, gang, um, one of the saddest features of sin is that it it puts a death to joy. The, the first casualty of sin is joy. And so what we've done in, as modern man is we've tried to find a substitute by parties and, and, and alcohol and, and, and frivolity and fun. But David knows that only God can restore his joy. Only 
God could speak joy to him. And he can do it in one word. He simply needs to hear forgiven. No, no, no cocktail party, no, no gift under a tree can revive dead joy. But there is one who brings joy to a disquieted soul. And so it's Christmas that kind of pulsates with this, this, I will, I will, I will, David. I did, I did. I did. I have, David. I have. I have a solution for your dead joy. And then lastly, in verse 11, David is fearful that God is going to throw him out of the kingdom. He says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. You know, guys, the greatest fear of the Jew is that somehow he was going to have to live east of Eden, that he was going to be thrown out of God's presence. Remember when Jonah was told to go to um, Nineveh, he said, no, I'm not going over there because that's not in the presence of God. You're going to kick me out of the Holy Land, and, and I'm going to be thrown out of your presence. I'm not going over there. Because that was the great fear of the Jew, to be cast out. Guys, the greatest part of misery when it comes to a Christian and his sin is the notion that I have done something so bad that it's going to cost me the kingdom. That I have, I've done it now. I have sinned so badly that I'm a goner. I'm, 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 God is done with me. David, David cries out, don't cast me out. And Christmas says, I won't. I haven't. In fact, in fact, David, I've brought you in and I've made a path. I've made a path, David, back to me. This psalm is written by a man who is, whose soul is on fire. It's, it's, it's a, it's a turbulent, troubled conscience and soul brought on by sin. And there is a, um, a whole loss of serenity and peace. And so Christmas, Christmas arrives and it speaks peace. It speaks peace to a troubled soul by saying to you, For unto you this born this day in the city of David, a Savior. You know, David, the real thing that you need is a Savior. The thing that will, um, that will reestablish a relationship with me, David, is a Savior. Not a counselor, not a friend, not a big brother, but a Savior. And I say unto you, David, unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior. And his crushed conscience has returns to, um, 
or at least can return to a sense of serenity by being reminded that God has provided a Savior. So can yours. One other thought and I'm done. Guys, you did know, did you not, that um, the child that was conceived in this adulterous affair of Bathsheba and David, you know, she was impregnated and the child was born. You did know, didn't you, that that child died? That's, um, he died at seven days old. He lived for seven days and he died. Now, when did David write this psalm? Um, uh, we're not told when, but we are, we're given a hint in that little uh, annotation at the top of Psalm 51. Did he write it before the child died or after the child died? I want to suggest to you that he wrote it before the child died. I, I think that's pretty safe. But this, this repentant man that is being described in verse 51, who can now face all that he's got to face, all that's going to happen afterwards. He's going to lose a child. His family is going to unravel. His son is going to run him out of town. All of that can be faced now. Because he has restored or has sought to restore his relationship with God. But here's my point. You know, David wasn't the only one who had a son that was born. And because of sin, died. As of Christmas morning... God, too, had a son who was born to die. And the, and the story of Christmas leads us to a larger story about God who gives his son to die, not because of the son's sin, but because of my sin. This, this enchanting little story, this endearing little story of, of Jesus' birth, even in it, if you'll read it, even in it, in the midst of the celebrations of the newborn, Mary cannot escape the sword that will pierce her soul prophesied by Zacharias. She cannot escape that sword because 33 years later, She had a son who would die, not for his own sin, but for my sin. Guys, the the curtain falls on this psalm with with really no answer. Uh, You'd kind of like it if, if God would say to David and it'd be concluded here, I heard you, David. I heard everything that you longed for. I heard everything that you desired, David. And I, and I've received it and all is well. But you don't get that in the Psalm. But where you got it is on Christmas morning. That answer that we long for arrived on Christmas morning, folks. Uh, A morning that came after a midnight clear to a world that 
lie in solemn stillness, longing to have an answer, longing to have a message of hope. And so God shouted one. He shouted on Christmas morning a shout that I hope you've heard. It's, it's, it's particularly designed for, his, for people who have, who have blown it. It's a shout, a shout that says there is a way. There is a way back to God. In the, in the hopes and the fears of all the years, they're, they're met in Christ Jesus tonight. One of the hymns uses this line. Oh, how silently and wondrously this gift is given. Yeah, it came silently, folks. It came wondrously, and yet in it, God has imparted to human hearts that him says, the treasures, the blessings of his heaven. That's what happened on Christmas morning. God has imparted the treasure of heaven to provide a way back for us. Our Father, we bless you that there is a message of hope for people who know that their performance is bad. People like me, people who are very aware that were the path something to do with one's performance, then I would never make it. And I know, oh God, that my performance is not the path. It's not the right path. But we're glad that there is one made available by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to die in the place of his people. And so in this season, we rejoice that you've seen our need as dark and as ugly as it is. And you have provided a remedy that is uniquely tailored to meet every need that the sinner brings. And so to you, O oh God, we come. We come with a sense of invitation. We come with a sense of boldness. We come with a sense of certainty that we will be received. And that certainty is a derivative of the great provision that you have made in Christ Jesus for us. Bless you, O oh God, that you have granted the very treasures of heaven to us committed it to us in a person. And it is that person that we embrace and love this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for leaving your home in glory so that we might find the path.
that takes us back to God. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.